it's very selfish to in, in invest in customer research. You're saving yourself time, you're saving yourself money. The average time that it takes for a startup to fail from their first round of investment is about three years. And if you can avoid losing three years of your life to a startup that was doomed to fail in the first place by talking to 30 customers or you know building a landing page or something like that, nobody wants to waste three years of their life and you know usually about a million and a half dollars in funding. So you know it's in your own best interest. It's very selfish. You're going to look good if you do it because your products are going to be more successful. Your customers are going to be happier and, you know, you're going to end up with a bigger bonus. Welcome to the Human Insight Podcast, where we help you bridge the empathy gap to bring you a valuable new understanding of some of the most innovative ideas and trends shaping the future of business and customer experience. Hi everyone, I'm Janelle Estes, Chief Insights Officer at User Testing, and today we're very excited to have Ben Hogan joining us on the Human Insight Podcast. Ben is the Director of De-Risking at the Idea Center at the University of Notre Dame, and his story, which you'll hear more about today, is also captured in our book, User Tested. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ben, and welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. You're currently the director of de-risking at the Idea Center at the University of Notre Dame. Um, could you talk through what the Idea Center is and, and why it exists? So most universities that do research take federal dollars from uh, different parts of the government in order to do, fund that research. And as part of that, there's an obligation to try and commercialize it. So most universities have what's called a tech transfer office. They're generally not very effective. They focus um, or have traditionally focused on trying to patent different inventions and then license the that set of intellectual property to existing companies. We said that hasn't been working super well, except for a few select people. And uh, entrepreneurship has a ton of benefits. New startup companies have you know, a lot of economic impact. So why don't we take the tech transfer office and turn it into... A kind of a startup studio is is kind of the model that we're set up under. The Idea Center is the hub of everything having to do with entrepreneurship on campus. There's a lot of different pieces. We have the commercialization team, which is the, the team that I'm on. And that team is the one that creates new startup companies based on faculty intellectual property. So anything that the faculty are inventing we say, should it be a company? And if so, you know, let's let's do the work up front to make sure that it's likely to be successful. Yeah, I love it. It sounds pretty compelling in terms of all the different programs and initiatives that you have uh, set up there to sort of make sure these good ideas and inventions are being funded and brought to market when it when it makes sense, but also kind of preparing students and others to how to be successful as an entrepreneur. So it's, re- it's really cool. I would love to learn more about your commercialization function and your team, kind of what your role is specifically. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so I have a, a couple different roles. I've been here for about four years and I've just kind of started, gotten my hands in a, a few different parts of the process. So we said, you know, as much as a commercial, as entrepreneurship is a messy process, Let's do our best to put some process and structure around that so that we can do quality control and make sure that the the companies that we're creating are doing all of the right things. 
So we kind of broke it up into three phases. We call it risk assessment and then de-risking and then enterprise acceleration. And so I kind of sit in the second and third phases running teams for both of those. Risk assessment is really just kind of a sniff test. You know, we're going to get, you know, some disclosure from a faculty member saying, I invented this thing. And we have somebody sit behind a computer for about 20 hours and put together a report, you know, what's the size of the market and the competition and things like that. All the kind of questions you would have as a founder if you were considering creating a company around an invention. Then we get our whole commercialization team together. There's about uh, eight or nine of us. And we go through this risk assessment report and say, okay, what do we do with this? And we've kind of got three options. The first one is we do nothing and we give it back to the faculty. If we think there's no commercial potential, then we'll just give it back to the faculty. And if they want to pursue it, they're welcome to do that. The second option is uh, a license. So, you know, every once in a while, we're able to license uh, an invention or a piece of intellectual property to an existing company. Great, fantastic, we'll do that. And the third one is the startup path. You know, basically we can break it down into things that we're worried about. And it's one of two things. Uh, Are we worried that it works? And if that's the primary concern, then we have uh, my counterpart, his name's Tim, wonderful guy, incredibly smart. Uh, he helps work through technical product milestones to help prove that the invention can work enough in the marketplace. So you could think, you know, we've got a cancer drug, a therapeutic, you know, what is the research that's been done? Okay, well, let's go put it into a mouse model and see, you know, efficacy and toxicity. Does it work? Does it kill people? Um, So that's the kind of thing that he works through. If we're worried about anything else, you know, anything having to do with the market or customers or anything like that, then it comes to my team, the de-risking team, and we'll work through customer and market focused milestones. So, you know, at the really early days, that might look like customer interviews. And so we do targeted customer interviews is kind of our bread and butter. I think uh, I did a little bit of an estimate and over the four years, my, me and my analyst team have done like 6,000 customer interviews over uh, 150 or 200 different inventions or companies that we've worked on. And then, uh, you know, we've got other tools and techniques that we can use to try and really understand, do we have a compelling value proposition for a clearly defined customer segment? You know, and then we'll work through some of the other, you know, key questions that come with an early stage startup. So, you know, what's the problem you're solving and for who is kind of the first one that you got to start with. But really quickly, you get into a couple other key questions, which are, does anybody want to buy it? And are they going to love using it? So we'll do some usability type stuff. We will uh, we'll also do some market testing type things. And that varies depending on the industry. You wouldn't really be surprised any of the things that we're doing. You know, we build websites and test them, uh, see if we can drive traffic and what the conversion ratios look like um, you know, based on different segmentation. And then somewhere along that process, we can kind of convince ourselves, yeah, there's a startup here. It works enough. We've got some customer signals. Uh, It should probably be a company. The other team that I run is focused on helping get that company started and out the door. And so that that, that team uh, does a lot of like company creation stuff. We work with Office of General Counsel to create new Delaware C-Corps. 
And then um, we recruit operators into the company. So kind of the first CEO um, will recruit people from outside, you know, that have done a startup or two before, if we can, uh, if we can't, because it's still too early stage, then we have what's called the startup associate program, which is we teach and train students to be the first CEO. And then we, we have them leave the university with the company. They have a, a small equity percentage in it. You know, they're creating their own job. So that's kind of fun. Also look at getting kind of the first hundred thousand dollars or so into the company. We try and get a really strong board around them. So either a three or five person board of directors that can give them good advice and steer them in the right direction. And then kind of once they've fulfilled those few requirements, then uh, they start to work with the fund team to you know raise a little bit more money to be able to recruit a team and, and go out the door. So I'm happy to talk about any pieces of that process. There's a lot there. It's crazy. You've created literally a machine around this. I think about companies and founders, you know, we work with companies of all different sizes and, you know, um, you've got a team of people that have been focused on, for example, a particular solution or product. And that's all they've ever kind of, not all, but like, you know, that's their main focus, right? Where it's like, they don't have they're not having as many at-bats, if you will, as, as someone like you or your team. Uh, it's fascinating to me. So if you think about it as sort of a machine and this idea that you're you're at the forefront of all of these new different kind of innovative solutions, what is your machine per se around um, identifying if these new ideas will actually stick or like be adopted by the market? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And you're absolutely right with the machine. We use that word all the time. And uh, when we first got started, we used to do a lot of engine metaphors for everything. And so we have the commercialization engine. And so that risk assessment used to be called the two-stroke uh, then we had the four cylinder was the de-risking and then V8 was the enterprise acceleration part. Turns out faculty members don't really care for engine metaphors. So we kind of abandoned that. Yeah. So how, like, what's the machine around? How do we, how do we tell if something's going to stick? Part of it is, you know, the squishy part of customer insights and customer discovery of, you know, do I really feel like I understand my customer and what they care about and how much they care about it? You know, and so that's, you know, that's why I've got a job here is because I'm, I'm okay at figuring that type of stuff out. The other one is we're always trying to, to measure that, right? Well, let's try and measure people's commitment to a different product or service or company. And so we collect different types of behavioral signals so the earliest behavioral signals we'll collect is like, hey, will you leave us an email address or can we come back to you for more information? So those are like really early behavioral signals. As we get you know, into higher fidelity tests, more rigorous tests where you know, maybe we've got you know, better prototypes or something to work with, or even the first version of the product then we'll collect you know more rigorous or stronger behavioral signals the best one is usually money right can we get somebody to pay for it and so when uh, a team is leaving the the de-risking team and starting into that enterprise acceleration section where we're really focused on starting the company it usually leaves with a, at least a couple of pilot customers if it's kind of a a business to business style company so we'll, we'll leave with a couple of pilot customers or design partners, people that are willing to 
work with us uh, on a really early stage product, give us a lot of time, input, feedback. Um, so that's a pretty strong behavioral signal. You know, I've got a few that are working through that sort of thing right now. We're working with cool robotics companies and they're, you know, giving us feedback a couple times a week on a product that we've got going on. If it's more kind of consumer focused, then we'll have consumers that are, that have paid for the thing. You know, we'll do that either through one-on-one -on -one sales or, you know, maybe through a landing page and, uh, you know, we'll set up something through Shopify or something like that and, and collect the first few sales. Um, when it comes to things like medical devices or therapeutics or something like that, it gets a little bit more challenging. Uh, therapeutics are their own beast. And so you don't really have to have customer signals. You just have to have mouse model data that says it's not going to kill anybody and it's going to work. And so, you know, but for something like medical devices or anything that goes into a hospital system, what we do is look for what's called a clinical champion. And so inside most hospital organizations, they have a whole committee that evaluates new products and technology to say, what's the total like economic impact to the, to the organization. And in order to get a product into that, you have to recruit a clinical champion, usually like the director of a department that raises their hand and says, I think we, I think that this thing's awesome. It, you know, has really good clinical benefits and we should use it. And so they're willing to put their reputation, kind of bet their reputation to their, to the value analysis committee. So we'll look for people like that, you know, and a lot of times it's too early stage to actually put it into a value analysis committee. But, you know, if we can get people to kind of raise their hands and say, yeah, I mean, if you get to this point, I would take it to a value analysis committee. That's really good. You know, we can also recruit advisors or people giving us endorsements and things like that. So if you can get a doctor to say, yeah, this thing's awesome. I love it. I would use it. I'm working with them. I believe in them. That's a pretty strong behavioral signal that, you know, what you've got is worthwhile and, you know, as is going to be valuable to the customers and patients. Really cool. Like I, this is amazing. Uh, the frameworks that you've built and even how you've layered the different types of sort of like market acceptance around some of these ideas and, 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 you know, uh, different behaviors that are signals. Now, when you are putting this stuff in front of customers or potential buyers or, or people, you know, the, the champion within the hospital, how do you bring the company along with that? Like, are they sitting alongside you as you are like, you know, putting something in front of somebody and seeing if they'll leave their email address? Are you reporting back what you've learned? Are you like, how, like how, how does this get back to the, the team that's working on it? Yeah. So it depends on the stage. So in the first couple phases, you know, it's just going to be me, my team, and maybe a faculty member. So there isn't a company yet. And for that, one of the things that I've found to be really effective is just involving the faculty member in the customer discovery process. We just kind of frame it as we're applying the scientific method to business hypotheses, and that generally clicks really well. And so, you know, scientific method is just, you've got a question, you do some research, you make a hypothesis, you test that hypothesis through an experiment, observe the results, analyze it and draw a conclusion, right? And so if you involve them in that process and say, hey, we think this is our customer, we think this is what they care about, let's apply the scientific method to that and let's go test it. Here's the experiment that I would suggest. 
um, you know, and it's customer interviews or, you know, concept testing on user testing or something like that. They are generally happy to engage in that process and they ask really intelligent questions and, you know, help you think of things that you wouldn't have thought before because, you know, I'm a, I'm a decently smart person, but I don't have the luxury of focusing on any one type of technology or field or industry. And so, you know, I'm never the expert in the room on the technology. So when it comes to reporting out, what I'll do is I'll, I'll say, okay, we designed this experiment and, uh, you know, I have one of my analysts that have, has done this experiment for us. Let's look at the results together. And so, you know, if that's customer interviews, then, you know, we put together just a little presentation and then walk through interview by interview, you know, what did we ask and what did we learn and what did they say? And then at the end of that, I say, you know, I already know the answer, but I say, here's, here's my conclusions. What do you think? And if, you know, if you just involve them in the process like that, then they generally get to the same conclusions. Every once in a while, you run into somebody that can't, you know, possibly fathom that nobody wants their thing or something like that. And I've been called an idiot more than once, but um, for the most part, if you, if you treat it like the scientific method, involve them in the process and treat each kind of question that you've got as a researcher, as an experiment, it works really well. Then when it comes to, you know, when we've got it inside of a company, um, you know, my goal is to teach people to fish rather than fish for them. And so I have a, a training platform that I've built for both the analysts that are part of my teams and then also like the startup associates and the other um, kind of founders that I'm working with that teaches them how to do different pieces of, you know, early stage startup formation. And a lot of that is focused on, you know, how do you do a really good customer interview and what are behavioral signals and how do you make a value analysis case and, and, and different things like that. And so, you know, my goal is to say, all right, I'm going to teach you how to do this stuff. I'm going to help you set the goal of what we need to do over the next little bit, you know, go interview 17 doctors and, you know, ask them these questions and see if you can recruit a clinical champion. And then they go and do it. And I don't watch them. I just come back and look at the results and, you know, have a, a, an intelligent conversation with them about, you know, how those conversations went. So at that point, I'm not the one you know, involved in the conversation at all. I just teach them how to do it and then coach them into doing it well. Got it. Got it. Um, so when you think about kind of like, I guess the value and the metrics and sort of the KPIs uh, that are re that are related to the work that you're doing at the idea center, what are those? Like, what do you, what do you own in terms of performance metrics and, and how do you and your teams work that you're doing kind of tied to these metrics? Yeah, so we have a whole, you know, internal KPI system that we use and everybody's uh, metrics are tied up to one kind of top line goal. And so for us, that is we have um, 14 what we call high potential startups. And so every year we need to be creating at least 14 companies based on, you know, the technology that's coming out of the university. And then we do, do we do some work with students too, but all that, all that high potential kind of label means is that, 
you know, you've got a person, you've got something that you can protect, you know, a unique value proposition, and you've got a good board around you, some people that can give you good advice, and then um, a little bit of funding. And so that that bar is $100,000. None of our companies leave with just $100,000, but that's kind of the, the threshold to say, hey, there's something here. You know, we're, we're excited about it. It could go somewhere. Then, you know, that flows down through the different teams. So I own about 50% of that goal. You know, my top line goal is seven high potential startups. And then, you know, for the de-risking team, we do what we call de-risking milestones. And so that might be, you know, a block of customer interviews or concept testing on user testing or creating a landing page or a value analysis case, you know, any kind of chunk of work, we call it a de-risking milestone. And so, you know, we need to hit a certain number of those every year. And then the other one is we uh, have some KPIs around recruiting mentors and board members. I, you know, it's 20 or 30 different mentors I need to recruit out of our alumni base to come and help us on the projects because, you know, 14 a year is a lot. And I certainly can't be helping every one of those, um, you know, especially since we've got a number that have been created over the last few years is just too many. Yeah, I mean, in the book, I, we we talk about one of those KPIs or a couple of them actually, and, and how the companies that have gone through the Idea Center have seen you know massive increases in funding and revenue as compared to a previous year, which ultimately shows market adoption, you know, customer adoption. Um, what are some of your favorite or like most memorable products or experiences that have come out of the Idea Center that were influenced by? this framework that you use to de-risk and assess. There's some failure stories that are in there too that are fun, but um, a couple that come to mind is, you know, we've got a, a company that's focused on creating blockchain services for large organizations. I worked with them a couple of years ago when they were trying to, you know, build some other products and suggested that maybe they work on something different. And, you know, over the last couple of years, they've gone from having a few customers and uh, just this last year, they raised the largest Series A in the history of Indiana, $25 million. And there's some really cool investors from the West Coast that are that are participating in that. And so that's very validating to see, you know, companies that I've worked with. You know, there's also like there's a neoadjuvant chemotherapy diagnostic tool that I've been working with for a while that just got admitted into Y Combinator. So that's really exciting. I like the founder of that one a lot, played Mario Kart together during some of our check-in meetings. And so, you know, I, I like seeing some of those things uh, progress and, and hit cool milestones. So um, I think right now we've got seven companies that are uh, getting ready for a second round of investment. And then um, I'm working with five earlier ones that are kind of in that first round of investment, uh, pre-seed stage. Um, so yeah, it's, it's fun to watch them kind of go through that entire process. And you can see when it was just, you know, a, a description on a piece of paper and now it's, you know, now it's your baby. It's something that you've created and it's, it's real, it's living, it's on its own. Yeah. I mean, it's funny that you say that. I was thinking the same thing. They're like your little babies, right? That are out there <laughs> in, in the market. It must be super rewarding to see, you know, how some of these uh, ways that you evaluate these ideas and make sure you get customer feedback as they're going through even just initial concepting um, and how that can help 
ensure that these are successful. It, it's pretty cool. Thank you. Yes. So I want to move over to the lightning questions. Um, these are questions that we ask every guest on our podcast. So um, can you share with our listeners, what's a book that you've recently read that you would recommend? I don't generally read a lot in the evenings for learning or personal development because my day is so packed with, you know, learning about different technologies. And so I like to unplug. And I think the last series that I finished it was the Wheel of Time series. So it's a fantasy series. They've got a uh, series out on Amazon now. So that's kind of fun. Um, and the other one that I'm about to start is sitting over here, Maximum Boost Designing, Testing, and Installing Turbocharger Systems. It's fun to tinker around with cars. So I had this one recommended to me. Yeah. I mean, I'm with you uh, in terms of, you know, it's it's nice to be able to unplug and read something that's not uh, work related. Um, so those are, those are awesome recommendations. Thank you. Um, what's a piece of advice that you'd give to someone who's trying to convince others to invest in customer feedback? I know you do a lot of it in the center, but believe it or not, we still have folks in companies that are still trying to build the case for getting customer feedback in general. So what would you tell them? You know, we work with some outside companies as well. And, you know, our companies will come back to us sometimes and, and ask for help with things. You know, I just give a couple of examples of people that have not invested in customer feedback. And so, you know, I worked with a company that burned through $10 million in four years. And at the end of that, they came back and had no product with very few customers and were asking for help in essentially creating a new company from the ashes of this one. It's very selfish to in, in invest in customer research. You're saving yourself time. You're saving yourself money. The average time that it takes for a startup to fail from their first round of investment is about three years. And if you can avoid losing three years of your life to a startup that was doomed to fail in the first place by talking to 30 customers or you know building a landing page or something like that, nobody wants to waste three years of their life and you know, usually about a million and a half dollars in funding. So, you know, it's in your own best interest. It's very selfish. You're going to look good if you do it because your products are going to be more successful. Your customers are going to be happier and, you know, you're going to end up with a bigger bonus. I love it. Can you share a uh, recent great experience that you've had lately and what made it so great? Yeah, um, I was thinking about this, and I think the best experience I've had in the last few weeks is my wife invited a number of our friends over to play hockey in our backyard. So, uh, you know, I live in northern Indiana, which is very cold. We're in the middle of a huge snowstorm. Uh, and so being able to play a little bit of hockey with friends, you know, we've got a, a hot tub back there now. And so kind of bouncing between the ice rink and the hot tub and We've got a little fire pit, you know, just makes for a really good time. And so, you know, there's only seven or seven or eight of us back there, but backyard hockey under some lights, you know, after the kids have gone to bed is, was really, really good. Yeah, for sure. Love it. How there's a, not really a digital component in there, which is a lot <laughs> of the experiences that people share have that, have that component. I can relate. I live in Maine in very sort of snowy uh, snow land, I guess. And yeah, we do a lot of that backyard stuff too. Uh, it helps the, the winters pass. When you think about the future of innovation and kind of the work that, that you're doing now, um, what are you most excited about? Yeah. I mean, it's the things that any 12 year old boy is excited about. 
Uh, there are videos of now of people building jetpacks and the military is using jetpacks. And I have been waiting for a jetpack since I knew what a jetpack was, right? And so seeing some of those things start to exist and start to be, you know, in kind of the public sphere, flying cars, right? I I want that. I want a jetpack. I want to be able to fly to work. And, uh, you know, there are quadcopters out there that you can ride. I think there's a guy in L.A. that's gotten in trouble because he's been buzzing the airport standing up on a quadcopter. So I'm looking forward to that. As soon as I can have one of those, that'll be fantastic. That'll help you get away from the, the snowy winters, too. All right. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us today, Ben. It was super fun to talk through your work, your focus, uh, what your team's doing, the Idea Center, and how you are you know, informing everything with uh, customer feedback. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. This is a lot of fun. Want to keep the conversation going? You can visit our podcast hub, usertesting.com slash podcast and check out past episodes. If you haven't already, don't forget to follow us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Overcast, or Google Play so you can never miss a good episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, please share it with a friend or leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts.